Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us as we start a new month. Hope you had a good holiday weekend, and we appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We'll kick things off uh, today with a look at the weather. We have some cool weather for much of the country for the holiday weekend. We'll talk with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson. We'll be talking markets with Naomi Bloom, senior market advisor for Total Farm Marketing. And we'll talk livestock markets Hog market in particular with Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. And a lot to talk about with the uh, markets right now. Let's start things off, though, with a check on the news with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, hope you had a good holiday weekend. I did, Mike. Thanks so much. I hope you did, too. Yeah, things seemed a little more back to normal. Uh, hopefully people stopped and thought about the, the the real meaning of the holiday, why we observe it, and uh, certainly to remember those who have uh, given their lives in service to our country. Well, as we start things off, Sarah, uh, big news broke over the uh, holiday weekend concerning JBS, a cyber attack on its North American and Australian systems disrupting global operations. We're still trying to uh, kind of assess the impact here in the United States. That's right, Mike, and it's, uh, I guess, not surprising given that we had the big cyber attack on the firm in, in, um, in the eastern U.S. that controlled all the pipelines. After that and after the payments that they made in ransom, uh, I guess you kind of thought that maybe this was going to happen somewhere else. But my guess never would have been that the meat industry was the next target. However, JBS uh, confirmed to reporters uh, that they did have uh, shutdowns in both Australia and North America, but primarily in Canada from what we can tell now. The firm has not released all the different plants that are affected, but obviously any kind of disruption like this after we've already experienced the COVID types of disruption can be very, very difficult for those who are in this pipeline. Yeah, we'll talk more about this with Steve Meyer a little bit later on in the program, but it shows again how our, whether it's a fuel supply system, even our, our food supply system is vulnerable to these types of attacks. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had several different discussions with folks about food security. It should be considered a key part of national security. And I hope that one of these days all of our lawmakers can say that sort of thing and and invest Mm -hmm. in trying to protect these systems that are so, so important to all of our consumers and our farmers and, as I mentioned, everyone along the supply chain, those workers who don't know if they have a job today or tomorrow or how long this kind of disruption will last. Yeah, we tend to take these systems for granted until something like this happens, so we'll be watching that closely. Meanwhile, the president released his budget request for fiscal 2022. Uh, What are your thoughts when it comes to what he's requesting for the Ag Department and EPA? 
Well, I think relatively good news because, you know, we always look for some of the cuts in programs that are very popular for farmers, like any of the farm programs that are funded through CCC or crop insurance. And there was nothing to that extent in this budget. In fact, there were a lot of increases. The total USDA budget is $198 billion, but what he unveiled last week was the discretionary spending, and that's a boost of about 9% or $29.9 billion for USDA. Now, some of this is, of course, very reflective of President Biden's priorities. $914 million for climate research and clean energy, um, a, a boost in broadband, uh, additional money, almost $34 million to resolve the heirs property issue, which, of course, is very important to minority farmers who had trouble trying to get clear title for some of their property, which of course is needed to secure loans. And that's a long-standing issue dating back several administrations. So this is an additional funding to try to resolve that. In comparison now, I think it's interesting that USDA, even though all good news, and, and as uh, I think uh, Chairman Stabenow said, it's a, definitely going in the right direction. Not as much as she would still like to see for conservation programs, and comparatively, when you look at EPA, the hike there was a 22% increase, another $2 billion. So USDA didn't get quite as much as some of the other agencies, but still a good move. It's his request. We'll see what he actually gets in the uh, in when it's all said and done. It'll go through quite a process and uh, much debate, obviously, in Congress. Um, what's, right. Where are we with infrastructure right now? Yeah. Well, we're in a better place. You know, you and I talked about this last week, that the devil always comes down to the details when you get into the actual um, heart of the negotiations. But um, you had Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg talking over the weekend on the Sunday show saying that there needs to be some clear direction of how they can resolve the remaining issues by June 7th when Congress comes back. You had Shelley Moore Capito uh, Capito um, talking about um, uh, the senator from West Virginia, who's a top GOP negotiator. She talked about the fact that she thinks they're close to what President Biden had told her could be a deal around one trillion. So um, you know, the president was originally closer to two trillion. The Republicans came back, uh, and they were closer to 928 billion. So I think there's a deal to be had somewhere in the middle unless something really blows up. So all this bantied back and forth, at some point we're going to get down to decision time, aren't we? Well, yeah, at some point the Democrats will say we're not going to try to negotiate any longer in good faith. But I think it's pretty clear that the president does want to try to do a bipartisan deal. That requires, of course, um, upsetting some of the Democrats in his own party that may want a more expansive deal that includes a lot of things that you and I might not think of as traditional infrastructure. But I do think that there is a deal to be had here if they could stay focused on that prize rather than getting a lot of the exterior uh, political things that, that normally do disrupt deals. <laughs> <laughs> if mm -hmm. those can stay out of the way for a little bit, they might have something that the American public can really benefit from. And over all this, we watch the uh, relationship between the administration and China, how they handle policies moving forward, obviously has an impact in a lot of different areas, including agriculture. They've been such a huge buyer of ag products, but it remains to be seen how these uh, negotiations and relationships work out. 
Oh, absolutely. I think the whole approach to China on so many fronts, whether it's uh, human rights, uh, you know, whether it is how they're going to be dealing with um, Hong Kong, uh, with their military presence in some areas that are making folks uncomfortable. Uh, there's just several different fronts that the, the Biden administration is trying to engage China on and at the at the risk, potentially, of how that's going to impact all the uh, food purchases that they're buying right now uh, really remains to be seen. But so far, China's been on that buying spree. Uh, they're not up to their $40 billion yet, but they're, uh, they're moving uh, still rapidly, at least on some of their corn purchases. Yep, some big issues for sure. Sarah, always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Great. Have a good week, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we start talking June weather now with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture from the National Milk Producers Federation, Shauna Morris, who heads up their trade team, this is good news that the action is being taken for a dispute panel challenge. The not good news, Canada has continued with policies that we hoped USMCA would uh, resolve when it comes to dairy. It's been a long time coming and one that dairy farmers and processors from all across the country have been really eager to see a move forward to actually enforce our rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It is disappointing that we have to go through this dispute settlement process just to actually get the agreement terms that were so painstakingly negotiated for. Unfortunately, it's not a huge surprise. Canada on dairy has the longest track record of working to push the envelope and evade some of their commitments. What's most remarkable here is simply the U.S. desire to not tolerate that. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Each and every day. Today, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. 
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we mentioned last week that DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson is going to start easing into retirement. Well, we're not going to let him start just yet. We're going to keep him working here as long as we can. So we've got him one more day. So one more week. Good to have you with us, Bryce. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. It was a much cooler Memorial Day weekend than in many parts of the country than we normally expect. Yeah, it, it really was uh, not not the best uh, Memorial Day weekend in terms of that uh, scenario, Mike. There was maybe a, a little bit of heat that uh, formed on Sunday and Monday, uh, so Monday itself was uh, a fairly mild day. But uh, yeah, there was uh, that residual uh, cloud cover and shadow activity uh, from that uh, from that uh, whole uh, upper air feature that brought in the harsh uh, freezing conditions into the northern crop areas late last week. And so it did take a little time for all that to work out. Uh, It's definitely going to feel more like summer this week, though, because uh, we've got a lot of uh, temperature uh, readings that are going to be in the upper 80s to the low to mid 90s. And then to our north, where it's so dry, uh, we could have temperatures topping 100 uh, in places like Fargo, North Dakota, this coming weekend. So we are going to really flip from that kind of uh, springtime, you know, mid-spring feel to where it feels like midsummer pretty quickly. Well, let's focus on those really dry areas where it's been cool and dry, and you say now it's going to be hot. Is it going to continue to be dry there, too? Unfortunately, it is. Uh, right now, uh, you have, uh, in, in terms of corn production, Uh, You've got uh, drought, in effect, over uh, about 25% of the uh, corn production uh, areas in the continental U.S., and most of that is in the northern tier, uh, from Michigan all the way west into the Dakotas and crossing uh, Minnesota, northern Iowa, and uh, parts of Wisconsin. Uh, And then in spring wheat areas, we know that there's just this uh, terrific uh, drought going on that runs north into the Canadian prairies. This week, uh, there's, there's really nothing in store. Um, the precip is going to focus uh, in the southern plains and then into the delta, uh, maybe angling north toward the Ohio Valley, eastern Great Lakes. Um, and there could actually be some very heavy rains in central and eastern Texas and southeast Oklahoma. But uh, none of that is making its way north. Uh, the the uh, dynamics that are shutting things down are very strong, and uh, there's just not any uh, appreciable moisture that's going to get to work north uh, to uh, give uh, these drought areas uh, any relief at all. What does your June forecast look like at this point? Uh, it is uh, it is looking uh, basically on the uh, warm and dry side over a lot of areas, and especially uh, where it's already dry. In, in the northern and northwestern part of the Midwest and then in the northern plains and on west. 
the the precip focus is uh, showing a real strong potential for the Gulf Coast and the southeast, maybe north to the Ohio Valley. But otherwise, uh, particularly when you get north of Interstate 70 or, or I-74 uh, from Peoria toward uh, Cincinnati, you get north of that, and uh, and it's uh, it's uh, turning drier uh, with, again, uh, the temperature bias leaning toward the above-normal uh, tendency. And um, this is a feature that is starting to get, uh, obviously, quite a bit of attention as we move into this month of June and we're in the time frame now when crop needs are approaching their maximum. And uh, to sustain that way throughout the uh, balance of, uh, of the season, uh, this is uh, a forecast that certainly brings concern for how things are going to actually pan out when it comes to crop performance. Comparisons have been made to 2012. Do you see any, uh, any similarities? There, there are some. I think uh, for me, a a, uh, a stronger comparison is uh, back to 2002. Um, in fact, that was pointed out to me uh, in uh, an exchange that I had with Brad Rippey from USDA Weather here a few days ago. Uh, with that uh, terrific dryness that we see in the northern plains, and then through the the west and the northwest, uh, in in uh, 2012. Uh, there was, uh, of course, a real harsh drought that was in place in the southern plains. And then uh, in the Midwest, uh, that uh, terrific dryness developed. So there's uh, maybe a little bit of a difference. And like I say, for me, uh, 20, uh, 2002, as, uh, as Brad mentioned, uh, I think is, uh, is maybe offering a little bit better uh, look, a little bit better of a benchmark uh, for how things are going. And um, regardless, uh, there's, uh, there's plenty of room to be concerned. I mean, in terms of crop production areas, this, this northern corn belt dryness is, uh, is, is certainly prominent in my thinking because uh, you're, you're starting this at around uh, U.S. Highway 20 uh, from Sioux City, Iowa, east to Dubuque, and then on towards Chicago. That, that corridor and then north, you know, that's some pretty uh, high production. And then it goes all the way into uh, what had been thought of as the northwestern uh, frontier, so to speak, of the Corn Belt over the last 10 years. Very dry area as well. Uh, so there is uh, plenty of production that is somewhat in jeopardy because of uh, how dry things are right now. Yeah, when you're that dry in those areas, before we get to what we think of as the dry time of year, then you have to really be concerned. Well, no doubt about it. And and at this point, I mean, we all know that any uh, moisture that occurs is just going to uh, pretty much be on a, a day-to-day basis in terms of its uh, uh, crop benefit. We are not at the point, we are not in the calendar cycle where precipitation is going to recharge the soil profile. You know, that's got to be during the fall after crop season is over with and everything. And uh, we're at the point now where anything that, that uh, shows up for rainfall is either going to get taken up by the root system or it's going to dry out because of the summertime heat. Now, we know some areas have actually had more than enough rain here in the last few weeks. Yes, they have. Uh, Parts of the southeastern plains uh, and uh, into southeast Texas have been uh, way too wet. Uh, There is uh, a concern about standing water causing some uh, crop root damage and crop health damage in places like southeastern Kansas, part of southwestern Missouri, northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, the delta is, uh, is kind of on the verge 
of having uh, too much rainfall and additional rains this week are not going to be favorable. So it's, it's a, a real um, sharp delineation between uh, not enough rainfall and then too much rain. And then, of course, we start putting some showers into uh, the south-central plains. Now you're talking about some possible quality issues with the winter wheat crop as it goes through its final ripening stage. Uh, so there is that part of the uh, equation as well when you think about the total uh, crop health spectrum uh, from uh, some of these uh, weather extremes that we've got. So here we are starting the month of June, and you've got some areas where there are caution signs out and other areas full-out warning signs for uh, the weather and crop conditions this year. Yeah, there are. And uh, I, I think that uh, there's, there's uh, already uh, probably some thoughts that uh, – that the idea of trend line yields uh, for row crops this year are starting to come into question, particularly if uh, the the 10-day forecast verifies for the very warm to hot and dry pattern uh, that is showing. Because uh, you know already uh, there's um, there's the potential for uh, curbing the ability of uh, of the corn plant to to uh, achieve uh, what the potential is of the seed. And I know that in south-central Minnesota, there's already um, uh, at least one uh, very, very careful uh, observer uh, who I'm uh, acquainted with who uh, is already factoring in a lower production uh, for his area because of how dry it's been up to this point and the need to achieve uh, additional rains that actually would be above normal in order to uh, offer the potential for crops to, uh, you know, show up and uh, actually produce uh, very well for this coming season. A story we'll be talking a lot about throughout uh, this summer, that's for sure. Bryce, thanks for being with us today. Good to talk with you as always. And you too, Mike. Thanks very much. Take care. DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, when the uh, will the markets start uh, paying more attention to uh, those, those forecasts, and those projections of hot, dry weather that Bryce was just talking about. And we've already been talking about it in the Dakotas and uh, parts of Minnesota, but now it sounds like it may be a wider area than that if that uh, forecast and those uh, predictions that Bryce just talked about uh, come true. We'll talk about the markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing, next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. 
Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. We are seeing sharply higher futures in the grain and oil seed sector coming off a long three-day holiday weekend. Soybeans are seeing the largest jump in the green. April USDA soybean crush is expected to come in at 171.1 million bushels this afternoon, down from the 188.2 million bushels in March and below the 183.4 million bushels last April. Trade estimates range from 170 to 173 million bushels. On the Board of Trade July soybeans, trading 39 and three quarters of a cent higher at 1570 and a quarter of a cent. The August contract up 39 and three quarters at 1521 and three quarters. July corn trading 33 and a fraction higher at 690. The September contract up 34 cents at 607 and a quarter. For wheats, Chicago wheat July up 31 and a half cent at 695. Kansas City wheat July up 31 cents at 644 and a quarter of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat July up 40 46 and a fraction at 773 and three quarters. The September contract up 44 at 777 and a half cent. Cattle futures drifted lower before the holiday weekend. The seasonal potential for slower demand will be weighing in on the markets unless strong demand continues. Hog futures ended the week and month very strong, and this should continue as the trend is up as traders remain aggressive. However, the cyber attack on JBS, the world's largest meat packer, may have some impact, but the impact is unclear. June live cattle on the Board of Trade trading 245 lower at 113.42. The August contract down $2 at 116.62. For feeders, the August contract down 340 at 147.95. September down $3 at 150.52. For hogs, the June contract down 20 cents at 117.05. July down 40 cents at 118.95. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. Uh, yeah, we split wood at my house. That was our big excitement, so we mm. were working. 
Well, then you come back to the markets. I tell you, in the last uh, week or two, you get whiplash following these markets. It's been brutal. It has been very volatile. Um, so last week, of course, the market started a couple days of just quiet trade, trying to catch its breath from the sell-off prior the week before. And then, of course, last week, that China cancellation news sent prices just slamming lower, only to be back up by the end of the day. And now here we come into the marketplace after a three-day holiday weekend. The market is trading higher uh, because primarily of the frost and freeze that hit a good portion of the Midwest over the weekend of clients that we talked to. Uh, it seems like it's the Dakotas, parts of Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and even northern Illinois got nipped by that frost. So people are trying to figure out, you know, do I need to do any replant right now, or is it going to be able to come out of this uh, frost freeze that happened um, unscathed? So it's going to take a couple days to figure that out. So you got frost and freeze, and we just talked with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, who's concerned about hot and dry for much of the country, uh, much of the production area this summer. And that's the next concern, why the market is now back up. Because at the end of last week, we were thinking, okay, maybe that was a seasonal high that we had in May, and prices work a little bit lower until we get a legitimate weather issue to occur. And with the poor producers on the Dakotas, you feel so bad for them because they went from you know extreme cold last week to now they're going to be in the near 100-degree temperatures by the weekend. And so with the rain that they had recently, that was great, but not if you're going to be having 100-degree temperatures coming up right behind it. So there's going to be so much uh, volatility in the marketplace for the next two months that this big price swings that we've been seeing for the last week or two, it's going to be here, friends, for at least two more months until we understand what we're dealing with in terms of acres and replant and, and weather going forward. So is that the focus for the markets now? We've been focused on sales to China are we focused more now on production concerns? I think we're starting to make that switch. So the rally that we had throughout uh, winter and spring, definitely because we knew that our crop size from last year was getting potentially a little smaller and the demand was there. But now we're at this big question mark where we don't know for sure where our acres are. We don't know that until the June 30th report. There's a lot of discrepancy about is it 96 million acres of corn planted or is it going to be 92 or 93 million? And, of course, that makes a substantial difference depending on this weather that goes along with it. So, yes, production in the United States is of concern. Uh, we're also looking at that second crop corn still in Brazil. Now they're saying that this is like the worst dry weather stretch that Brazil has seen in 90 years. So that's starting to perk up on some headlines as well. And, of course, we have to keep an eye on what's happening within China and their growing because they grow as you know plenty of wheat and corn as well. And then within Russia and the Black Sea region, there's going to be a lot of weather watching to do over the next few weeks. Talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. So I, I, when I've talked to you and other market analysts for a long time, I'd be, for weeks I've been saying, how high could the market go? And then all of a sudden we started thinking about how low could it go? Now we're back to talking about how high could it go? Yeah, and that's a great question. It's absolutely top of mind. And, and just a quick summary here, when you look at a, a soybean chart, July soybeans, the high that we had today um, is pretty much back near the high from late April. And so if you like to look at charts, 
there still is a potential head and shoulders formation on this chart where if we don't get any fresh news tonight, tomorrow, and for the rest of the week, prices may drift back down towards $15 for that July contract and then they have this head and shoulders there. When you see a head and shoulders, it, a lot of times it signifies that prices might see a price dump if they don't get positive news. However, if we are on this right shoulder near this 1575 area and prices can find friendly news to push higher, we will see a retest of those May highs in the very near future. Corn is a similar fashion. We're either going to go right back up and see those recent highs, depending on news over the next couple of weeks, or go back down and test where we were midweek last week. So today's close is very important for these grain markets and for prices. And you have to just really be ready to you know, understand where prices could go shooting higher, depending on what Mother Nature has to say. Or we kind of start to nuzzle in a bigger sideways trading fashion um, in the short term as well. So it's up to Mother Nature and, and what she has in store for us to know where these prices can go. So as you said, we're waiting for the acres numbers at the end of this month. Do, does that report now have the potential to be more of a market mover than we thought maybe earlier? It will because we're not off to a perfect start for our weather season. So now, in my opinion, trade might be thinking it's going to be harder to achieve a trend line yield. So knowing we get those acres numbers on June 30th, I think you can knock off trend line yield and start to adjust things a smidge lower. Um, and then that gives us the math examples going forward to know where ending stocks are and to know where ending stocks are is how we can dictate where prices are going to be going. So there is so much to be watching with these markets um, between supply, demand, acres, and keeping a tabs of what's happening around the world as well. And these weekly planting progress crop condition numbers are going to probably be more closely watched too by the markets. Yep, you're right. So that first one comes out this afternoon. We've had the, the growing um, speed and the percentage of the crops that's been planted, but on this afternoon's report, they're actually going to show uh, the good to excellent category or the poor to very poor category for corn and soybeans. And so that's what usually gets the market um, hot and heavy for night trading and then into the next day. So, yeah, that comes out this afternoon at 3 o'clock. All right, so you're a farmer with maybe some uh, crop concerns already, production concerns, and trying to figure out how to market. What are you telling people? Well, stop and think about where, I mean, look at your notes. Where are you at now for your cash sales for sure, for new crop with what people have forward contracted? I think producers did a good job of making incremental sales on this whole rally higher for new crop. And then where things are at then right now, we're going to be thinking about, okay, now if, if my crop is you know really suffering and there is a disaster with yield, you know, you don't want to overextend yourself on a rally uh, by any means, uh, especially if there's drought potential in your neighborhood. So get your cash sales figured out for sure. And then think about if we have a drought and if prices explode higher, is it worthwhile for you to be looking at reownership opportunities? And then in the same breath to know what's unpriced for your bushels to look at strategies that can protect if all of a sudden the weather clears up and it's perfect from here on out and prices work lower, you want to make sure that you're protecting that missed opportunity as well or that value that's there, I should say, because, you know, last week producers were feeling pretty sour when the markets turned lower and I heard a whole lot of, dang it, I knew I should have been selling more, I should have done something, 
and it was a lot of regret. And now with the markets back up, now we're back to, whoa, I can't sell anything else right now. We're, we're going back up to $8 corn. So the emotional impact of these markets right now, it's, it's on everyone. We're all feeling it, and it's all there, and it's very real. But that's where you have to step back and make mathematical decisions, use scenario planning to think about three reasons why market prices could explode higher or why they could turn lower, and take truly a half hour to an hour and sit down and think about what the implications would mean to your farm. So it comes back down to math and making the time for marketing. And I think of the producers in these very dry areas. If you're this dry as they are now, you're not going to make that up during the summer, obviously. Uh, and mm -hmm. they're sitting there thinking, well, no matter how high the price is, I, if I don't have anything to sell or very little to sell, it's not going to help me much. Right. That's a very real point, too. And, and it's so different throughout the country this year. You know, some pockets are just parched for needing moisture. Other parts of the country are like, okay, we could use a whole week of 90 degrees and no rain. It would be wonderful. So everyone has a little bit of a different need, and, and you're going to see the implications and the effects of that over the, the summer as well. So we've talked recently about the role of computers and, uh, you know, uh, non-fundamentals playing into the markets. Are, do we get more back to fundamentals now the rest of the way, or what do you think? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I think that the fundamentals come back into play depending on this weather, but the computers are been um, just whipsawing the market action. Of course, we have these expanded trading limits, but what's been interesting to watch is um, the amount of, of trade volume has been lighter when I'm looking at the specific bids and asks of where the futures contracts are trading at. And so because the volume is just a little bit lighter, it makes it easier for the computers to find the stops and the buys. And, and with the expanded limits, you know, that's what's giving us this whipsaw action. So with your marketing, um, you know, be mentally prepared that we're going to have days where we're limit up, where we're limit down. Or we could be limit up and limit down within the same day. That's just the volatility that we're in. And we haven't, you know, of course, seen this since 2012, really. So um, the, the trading strategies that worked great over the past six to seven years when we were in quiet bear markets are not necessarily the right strategies to be using for bull market trading and for volatile trading like this. So you need to work with your advisor to talk about risks and rewards for each strategy, uh, talk about the cost of things, and, and just be ready for whatever the summer throws at you. And who knows what that may be. It could be a wild ride indeed. Looks like it. Naomi, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Yes, thank you. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. All right, we'll look at livestock markets next in that JBS News with Steve Meyer with Partners for Production Agriculture next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. 
text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, a recent federal district court ruling struck down a provision of USDA's new swine inspection system. Here to talk about it is Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council's Science and Technology Legal Counsel. Why could this have such a negative impact on pork producers? But what that rule did was finalize a pilot program that had been operating in five plants for well over 20 years. And those plants have been operating differently and at these higher line speeds, uh, significantly above some of them, the 1,106 head per hour limit. This decision in late March has essentially said that by July, they're going to have to drop down that lower line speed point. And it's going to be about a two and a half percent cut to harvest capacity across the U.S., but for each of these six plants that were operating above the line speed, it's actually going to be a 20 to 30 percent hit. These plants, you know, most of them are, are not in Iowa, so you're looking at, you know, states like Oklahoma or Michigan taking a significant hit. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're discussing the factors behind recent grain market fluctuations with Kent Beadle, a commodity and financial markets analyst for CHS Hedging. As the corn planting season winds down now, how much confidence does the market really have in USDA estimates on planted acres? Not very much is the answer to that question. When the prospective plantings report came out, it had a sum total of about 316 million acres to principal crops. The USDA in the past has suggested that that number of full acreage might be something closer to 319. And so at a minimum, the marketplace is believing that there's probably 3 million acres that are out there that might come into, you know, most likely corn, given the, the prices that we've had recently. Let's switch to China. They were buying a lot on consecutive days, and then it started to slow down. What do you see them doing moving forward? Domestically, their prices are still quite high. Everything that we've seen from them suggests that they need the corn. 
We have seen our export shipments and inspections on a weekly basis, topping that 700,000 tons to over a million tons per week. And we're actually anticipating that that's going to continue. And we're not looking for much in the way of old crop cancellations. The sales you mentioned have been for new crop. Their old crop purchase program is pretty well done. But because of the smallness of the South American Safrina crop and concerns about their own domestic uh, prices and commodity inflation, they continue to buy. Keep in mind that they ran their stocks down fairly low during the trade war, which is something that's not necessarily reflected in USDA statistics statistics, by the way, but their price belies what true situation is in China. That's Kent Beadle, a commodity and financial markets analyst for CHS Hedging. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, lots to talk about on the livestock markets with Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Steve, thank you for joining us. What do you make of this JBS story? Well, it's kind of a sign of the times, it looks like, Mike. I mean, um, we are... um, when we become dependent on computers and we tie them all together and then people can get into them and uh, there are folks out there that want to do damage and there are certainly folks out there that want to profit from it. And uh, um, it won't be the last time we see it. And, you know, again, it, it's kind of like last year's coronavirus thing. They figured out that this is a flow just-in-time industry and if you throw a wrench in the works, uh, it causes a lot of trouble. And anytime you can cause a lot of trouble, there might be somebody that will pay you to make it go away. And I think this won't be the last time we see it, would be my guess. Do we know what impact it's having here in the U.S. yet? Not exactly. Um, We got some word this morning that um, we know that their beef plant in Canada didn't run yesterday. Of course, it wasn't a holiday in Canada that Australia has been pretty well shut down. We got word this morning that at least three of their plants, uh, their pork plants in the U.S. that uh, called their suppliers and said don't ship anything today. My guess is that all five of them would be in that shape. I don't know why the other two would be any better off. Um, We've heard kind of the same thing probably going to happen to their beef plants in the U.S. So, you know, I mean, if you, you can't conduct your business, which... You know, this is, again, just in time. There's product flowing out of these warehouses and out of these plants all the time. And if it can't flow out for whatever reason, then you've got to shut off the inflow. And that doesn't even think about all the computer-driven things that might be in the plant that could be affected. So we'll wait and see how this plays out. Meanwhile, your thoughts on the impact of the recent court ruling striking down uh, faster line speeds in packing in some packing plants uh, pork producers council coming out saying that could really hurt smaller producers what are your thoughts on the impact of that decision no i think it's going to hurt kind of anybody um uh, smaller producers might take the brunt of it they usually take the brunt of any kind of disruption um you know number one is my thought is i'm horribly disappointed in usda uh, that they wouldn't go and fight for something that's been proven to be okay and proven to be effective. Now, 
we don't know what their data about worker injuries are in the hemp program that ran for, I believe, 18 years. So I don't know what the data says. It might say that it's not a good situation. We don't know that. But at least USDA should have picked this up and said, no, we're going to fight for something we think is right. And I'm terribly disappointed in them. Um, as far as its impact, yes, uh, you know, it's going to slow these six plants down. It's going to take, oh, 2.7 to 3% of our slaughter capacity away. And that's not a big deal right at the moment. But it is going to put us in a bind come the fourth quarter. We were going to be okay in the fourth quarter with supplies uh, each week, you know, under what we could kill on a 5.4-day uh, work week, which is kind of the standard I've used for a long time. I, I don't know if there's anything magical about 54 but usually if you get above that, it has price impact, and we were going to be fine this fall. This puts us at a bind in about seven out of 13 weeks in the fourth quarter. Now, we could make that up with Saturday operations, but, you know, Mike, we've talked on here many times about the labor situation and, you know, just how effective is it going to be to try to work more Saturdays at some plants, given how tight labor supplies are and the fact that, you know, uh, they don't just line up, uh, happily line up to work Saturdays in some of these plants. And so, um, you know, it's, it, could, uh, it could have an impact on prices. I think it certainly will have an impact on spot markets. Um, you know, it, it's probably, you know, I think it's kind of neutral as far as the cutout value and anybody based on that because, you know, we're still going to have the same amount of product we were going to have otherwise, but it will sure put a cramp on the spot market as we go through the fourth quarter. I, I don't think we'll feel anything about it until then. Um, but, again, it's just very disappointing that something that we think was a proven system that USDA wouldn't have the, the conviction and the caring about producers to stand up and defend. Well, Steve, already, I mean, we're coming off of COVID, the disruptions there in the system, and and already concerns and questions about what's going on in the cattle markets. Now you have the JBS news and the court ruling on, on line speeds. Uh, this looks like setting up for a pretty bumpy year for the meat industry. Well, it is bumpy. I mean, at least it's bumpy. And on the pork side, at least it's bumpy at a very high level. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I, I think I think what it underscores, Mike, is it's a risky world we live in. I mean, there can be all kinds of things that go wrong in this. And so, you know, it's, it's, if, you're, if you're leveraged, if you've got debt and those kinds of things, you need to manage your risk. And risk can come from a lot of different places. Um, you know, I think you know, that's the lesson of this. And, and instead of mitigating, you know, reducing the levels of risk out there, uh, in many cases we've made it. You know, we've made it more. And now you throw in, you know, the possibility of just uh, you know illegal activities having market risk, and that uh, means that you still have to take a very different view of the world we work, we live in now from what we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And uh, I think it's going to uh, reward those that do a good job of mitigating risk. And as John Lawrence used to say, you know, the whole thing about, you know, the whole thing about risk management is don't think the shit, but don't miss the boat. Okay. And uh, I think that's the balance that producers are going to have to work on. We'll have a lot to talk about next week at World Pork Expo. I think we will. I think it'll be a lively discussion uh, in, many, in many formats. Real quick, st- strong hog prices continue? Absolutely. I I don't see any waning of this unless we have some 
something that affects the main driver, which is demand. We had an excellent export report last week. Domestic demand remains strong. I think we're going to see young strong hog prices all the way through the fall. All right. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you next week. You bet. You bet, Mike. Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. That wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA.